0: Joining me today is Rav Aurora. Rav is an independent journalist based in Vancouver, writing on a wide range of topics, including violent crime, MDMA therapy which we're talking about today, identity politics, and vaccine mandates. You can find his work at Illusion of Consensus or go to illusionconsensus.com. Those links are available. Rav, thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks, Russell, and great to uh, see the millions of uh, awakening wonders yet again.
0: The way this movement grows, it seems that as the establishment doubles down on its mission to destroy independent thought and the possibility of independent opposition, people continue to tenaciously grip onto deeper truths that are very empowering. Now, you're obviously interested in who isn't the nature of consciousness, and you've bought us an exclusive story prior to publishing it, even on your own Substack, and you are one of the best investigative young up and coming journalists out there. So we're very excited about this story. We talk a lot about psychedelics and psychedelic therapy, and indeed, awakening is very significant in our community. Can you tell us exactly what this story is, what the therapies are that it pertains to, and how it intersects with some of the issues we are already interested in, like, for example, the kind of control that's exercised by the pharmaceutical industry and their kind of territorialism when it comes to IP?
1: Yeah, so um, I came into contact with Dr. Joseph Freeman who uh, authored this uh, incredibly compelling and striking study on the mRNA vaccines being associated with a 1 in 800 serious adverse event rate. I know you've talked about that study before on your show, Russell, yeah. you might recall. Yeah, so um, on our podcast, The Illusion of Consensus uh, on Substack, uh, Jay was interviewing, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, was interviewing Freeman and Freeman has mentioned like, early on, I was doing study uh, studies on MDMA specifically. Uh, known as the the empathogen of psychedelics, the, the heart opener, uh, a drug used for uh, PTSD in individuals with severe trauma. It's, it's a great um, compound shown in the studies to uh, go through and process uh, severe traumas and difficult emotions. Um, he mentioned he had worked with this drug, and then I reached out to him and I said, oh, that that's interesting. That's something uh, psychedelic research is something that I'm interested in. Uh, as someone who is uh, intrigued by awakening consciousness and healing mental health issues, etc. Being a, a person, I would say, who's struggled with mental health issues and knows a lot of individuals struggling with uh, trauma, depression, PTSD, etc. And then when I spoke to him, he started telling me the story that he's never told before. And that became this exclusive piece, which I'm very excited to tell you guys about, which is how... In Dr. Freeman's uh, early research uh, in the uh, early 2000s, the early aughts, he was part of three peer-reviewed studies focused on uh, giving MDMA to rats and in rat studies. And essentially, the the nutshell is that, uh, I guess, unsurprisingly, given the war on drugs, the war on psychedelics, and the politicized mission to demonize this specific class of drugs, the the studies were done in a way where there was a very clear political and scientific narrative to amplify the negative findings associated with MDMA uh, in these studies and to obscure or downplay or sort of defocus any positive findings. And remember, these studies were NIH-funded, specifically NIDA-funded, the National Institute of Drug Abuse. And Freeman tells me a story about how in three of these studies, one study in which they found um, that actually adolescent mice were more resistant to uh, MDMA neurotoxicity than adults. And they found that this was a very striking finding because they would think that maybe in the, the younger mice, there would be more potential neurotoxicity, which is also this kind of big myth that has led to the criminalization and suppression of MDMA is this idea that it's neurotoxic, which is based on some other uh, uh, in some cases, fraudulent or misleading studies, uh, not the ones that Freyman was part of, but some other ones as well. Um, and it turns out MDMA is not neurotoxic in the doses given in, in any kind of therapeutic range. But this particular finding about adolescents and MDMA, about it being more safe uh, than used in adults, this finding was the most interesting finding, but Freyman was not able to focus on it uh, because of the NIDA funding against what they're exactly looking for they're, they were giving repeated doses of mdma in adolescence um, and uh, as well as another dose when the the rats were uh, in adulthood and they found that repeated doses uh, of mdma in adolescence actually prevented neurotoxicity from mdma in adulthood and this was a very striking finding again that went against kind of the narrative Um, But they, Freeman told me, they deliberately didn't emphasize this in the study because remember, the studies were designed and conducted and pushed in a certain way to demonize psychedelics and to show particularly negative findings and not actually talk about any potential benefits. And so here you have this kind of narrative. Uh, seeping into or contaminating the science, which is exactly the opposite, Russell, of how we want science to be. We want science to be about, let's do a study, let's find out what happens, right? Let's see the harms and the benefits and weigh them. But here, these government-funded studies were explicitly conducted in a manner to demonize a class of drugs that that had these political and ideological and kind of weird spiritual associations that the government wanted to Uh, uh, make illegal and to discourage individuals from taking. And so here you see ideology and politics trumping objectivity and the scientific method. That's brilliant
0: because it's another example, and thank you for sharing this with us exclusively and primarily, of how the claims of objectivity of science can be thwarted or at least compromised, as you say, by ideology. Your claim is that the N-I-A-D-H only even undertook these trials in order to discredit these substances that's that's the claim because and it's a the claim is based on the amplification of negative findings and the and the not correctly covering or conveying positive findings is that right
1: Yes. Yeah. And this has since been confirmed, actually, by someone, um, Dr. Robert Malone. Uh, he he came across the piece and we were communicating over the weekend and his wife um, was part of some early research um, in the 80s and 90s. And uh, she actually confirmed this. And this is going to be another follow up piece that's going to be available on the illusion of consensus substack uh, tomorrow or the day after. And she's and she confirmed this exact same thing and said at that time. Um, when she was uh, not a, not part of MDMA research, but in the drug research area, she was told and commun- it, was, it was very clear to her um, that if, for example, she used the example of marijuana, if they found some positive effect with marijuana, which is a drug being studied, funded to study by the NIDA, the government agency, that would essentially be career suicide. Like you couldn't do that. If you were funded to study a particular class of drugs by the NIDA, which are heavily politically pressured to paint this narrative, you can't can't focus on any positive findings. The goal is you're getting money, you're getting rich and wealthy based on you doing these studies to support the government agenda. So that all has to work in a systematic, uh, precise way. And if you go against it, you you could lose funding at your lab. And this is what Dr. Joseph Raymond shared uh, in in, uh, his particular experiences There's one other thing as well that he shared, which in some ways is the most interesting one. There was a third study he was a part of where they were kind of comparing SSRIs, uh, particularly citalopram, which is an SSRI, an antidepressant in mice with MDMA. And there was this hypothesis based on other studies that maybe if you gave mice citalopram before you gave MDMA, there could be some neuroprotective or some synergistic effect potentially. And in the study, they were comparing and contrasting these different groups and they were expecting to find uh neurotoxicity from the mdma and potentially citalopram could help with that or they were they were going they were going to investigate what would happen and they ended up finding unexpectedly that the, the when the mice were actually given the ssri that itself had produced serotonin uh damage in the mice something they didn't expect to find they were looking for that in the mdma and they did find that later on because remember they were giving the mice like very high doses of MDMA, like extremely high, like a person would have to take like a ridiculously large amount of MDMA to get some sort of equivalency there. And the, you know, the temperatures are really high. They they did all sorts of things for it to find the worst possible outcome. Mm -hmm. And they found the Cytaloprim actually caused uh, serotonin damage, uh, which they didn't didn't expect to find. And Freeman, he was stunned by this particular finding because this is a drug that's widely prescribed in America and the UK and Canada. If you go to your doctor and say you have depression, it's very commonly and easily prescribed antidepressants like Halloween candy. Um, and they're finding this particular finding about this commonly used drug. Yet, Freeman, again, was told by supervisors basically, no, we can't touch this man. Like, no, no, we can't badmouth or or emphasize any negative findings with SSRIs because we don't want to interfere or damage any relationships with these pharmaceutical companies who gave us give us these agents and these medications for various studies. We want to maintain a good relationship with big pharma because we want to keep getting funding and access to pharmaceuticals to maintain our studies. Yet let's focus on all the the negative findings we can get with MDMA because, well, Mm -hmm. the government wants to criminalize and to demonize this particular class of drugs
0: this is nothing less than systemic corruption where there are fate accompli prerequisite outcomes at the point on which at which they embark on the endeavor you could assume that if this Uh, was those clinical trials were undertaken by a private enterprise that, that there would be a different outcome because it would mean perhaps that the FDA had approved the possibility of licenses being afforded to those drugs in a sense that if it's being if it's a government funded clinical trial where there is no predetermined partnership with a private pharmacological entity it's likely that the clinical trials are being undertaken to condemn, tarnish, and curtail the use to, as you say, demonize, in this case, MDMA. And if it was undertaken by, I don't know, Pfizer or another giant organization, it's likely that they might, using the same drugs with slightly different methods, reach a positive outcome, because at this point, the drug is ready to be licensed. So in a sense, would you say that in all likelihood, We're at a phase where the profitability of SSRIs is too significant to be countenanced, challenged and diminished by rival substances. And beyond that, Rav, do you imagine that there are... Reasons that pertain to the general well-being, because a lot of the time when you're globally covering the kind of subjects that you cover and that we cover over here, you get the sense that there's a requirement that people, the light of the human heart remains dimmed, that people feel repressed, subdued hopeless and despairing and I know a lot of people in our chats will identify with that it's almost as if part of the function of the culture is ongoing disempowerment the creation of division and when you hear for example of emergent substances that might be beneficial for mental health they are controlled until there's a point where it might become profitable and then at that point that they could be in some diminished or distinct or evolved way be utilized. So I guess what I'm asking you is mm. do you think it's just for the, because of the profitability of SSRIs? That's one part of the question. Second part of the question, do you reckon if like these products were licensed, they'd just trial it again and go oh, actually it works quite well now? And do you think there's a sort of a bro- do you get the sense that there's a broader appetite to keep people sort of subdued and despondent?
1: Mm. Yeah, those are all great questions. Yeah, there's a great quote from uh, Brett Weinstein recently. He was, he was on Tucker's show. He put it perfectly. He said, uh, pharma is healthy when people are sick. Mm. And I think I think that's true in, in many respects. You have big pharma corporations and government entities that are essentially monetizing and profiting off of disease states, right? It's not exactly in the best interest to give, you know holistic mind, body healing and to, to deal with the, uh, the, the core of our mental health and physical problems. Um, in, in many cases, there's, you're seeing across uh, the United States and across the West, we're moving more and more towards just giving pills and handing off prescriptions to deal with very complicated uh, issues like PTSD, like depression I mean, we're talking about SSRIs and antidepressants. The idea, Russell, uh, I, I totally challenge this. The idea that in in any way you could cure depression with a pill is ludicrous to me. It, it, it doesn't even make sense just as a premise, because what is depression, right? Depression, someone who's lonely, lacking social connection, lacking spiritual connection, uh, have unhealthy relationships isn't working out, isn't exercising potentially, is has this gray cloud over their head. Usually a lot of people um, with uh, various traumas in their life from childhood to adulthood, et cetera, et cetera. There's all these kind of issues. You know, Maybe someone left a job and now they're despondent and in despair because they don't know what to do next. And now they feel depressed or they... Just had a traumatic breakup with someone that they loved and that they invested all their life in, but yet this person doesn't love them anymore. And you know that's now they feel depressed. That that is a very complex human problem that's that's existed since the dawn of time. The idea that you could fix that with a pill makes absolutely no sense. Right? These are very complicated problems that you have to deal in a holistic manner. And psychedelics, like I, I want to be careful and, and make sure. People understand like I am not some guy here just promoting drugs or like in any way some kind of influencer or who wants to um, say you should take these things willy nilly or in some recreational way. I personally have grown up in a very conservative, traditional kind of Hindu upbringing with my parents who are immigrants from India. Um, I I never smoked any marijuana or did any drugs when I was a kid. It was strongly condemned. Uh, And in fact, I, I have a very strong or did have a very strong bias against like psychedelics and marijuana, like it was it was, it was very kind of uh, anathematized or, or, or condemned uh, in a way. Yet, over the past few years, as I see the rise in mental health issues across the West, right, depression, PTSD, anxiety, ADHD, um, in researching what works and what doesn't work, you quickly begin to realize if you're looking with an open mind that psychedelic therapies are incredibly effective and probably the most effective uh, therapeutic we have on the market for dealing with some of these complex problems. And it makes sense, right? It makes sense. It's not like an antidepressant that numbs you or makes the highs less high and the lows less low. That's kind of what some people experience on SSRIs. It's you, you, for, for MDMA, going back to the specific topic, MDMA, for example, there are now uh, incredible studies done by Rick Doblin at MAPS, um, who I've recently interviewed and recent phase two study that showed of individuals who had undergone this MDMA therapy protocol, which involves three sessions of MDMA over the span of six months with uh, psychotherapy before, in between, and after these sessions. 71% of these uh, individuals with PTSD, people who are replaying and re, you know, constantly uh, being plagued by these past traumas and past experiences are now in these sessions where basically you're it's seven, eight hours per session, and you're working through and then and, and re-experiencing and reprocessing difficult emotions and traumas that you've experienced. And this isn't a podcast so we're going deep into psychedelics, but that that's kind of the gist of it and something that's very powerful for folks. This this therapeutic, 71%, Russell, for those that don't know, is incredibly astounding. And that's similar and basically the same figures for psilocybin for depression. Great studies at Johns Hopkins. Uh, other studies with LSD and DMT being done as well, but psilocybin, ayahuasca, MDMA, astounding efficacy, unlike SSRIs, which basically seem like a placebo at this point. And the, the dominant theory for prescribing SSRIs was that there's a serotonin imbalance in the brain. Therefore, we can we can chemically correct that with handing off this pill, when in reality, that, that story has now been widely debunked. And if you ask psychiatrists, like they don't have a lot of solutions in the toolbox. And a big reason why psychedelic therapies, which are showing to be more and more effective with these incredible studies at Johns Hopkins and Rick Doblin at MAPS, these drugs have been demonized from the early 70s and 80s and 90s when they were coming onto the scene. And there were a lot of complications with it. Some of the people that were advocating for these things, you know, tune in, Uh, drop out the whole timothy leary thing who he had conducted some misleading research and it kind of became this politicized mission and and some of the psychedelic advocates were quite irresponsible in what they were advocating for in society and so that really uh frustrated or scared the the powers that be and there became these federal regulations were being passed there was this idea that if you allow people to take psychedelics then people are going to tune in you know tune out and drop out of society and not participate in in a responsible, obedient, civil way. But what ended up happening is instead of having an honest conversation about risks and benefits and putting in the proper guardrails with this with this stuff, there was just a complete elimination of the conversation and uh, uh, pushing to criminalize these drugs, Republicans and Democrats were in favor of this. And there was this perception that we can't let the kids take the LSD. Otherwise, they'll go crazy. And a lot of those studies, like I said, Dr. Joseph Raymond's testimony, which is incredibly powerful. And and by the way, we were we were talking about this and it's like we were worried, like, Joseph, if he wants to continue doing research, you know, how. How is that going to happen if he's now revealing these political narratives? And he's basically at this point now with, with, with his research on COVID vaccines and other things, not wanting to rely anymore on NIH or NIDA. I mean, it's more important for someone like him to reveal uh, these you know these bombshell uh, the, 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 these revelations about how this research was conducted than you know being in good favor with NIH and NIDA, who, as we're finding out more and more, Russell. The, the, the way in which we perceive and understand pharmaceuticals, drugs and vaccines is not exactly how they're uh, conducted or how they're designed. Like we, we look at the conventional wisdom on drugs, medicines and vaccines as being absolute gospel. Right. Whatever our doctor says, whatever Fauci says, whatever the FDA and the CDC say must be true. Right. And that's something that I would, would have thought before as well. But as it, it turns out, as I do more and more research and follow these threads uh, in my career, the way these things are processed and kind of propagandized to the public, the way these things are studied, it's it's not just science. it's not just whatever drug is most effective and what is the most safe. We saw this with the COVID vaccine as well. There are a lot of financial And political and ideological interests at play that we don't get to see as the public. We just get to see, oh, vaccines are safe and effective. Oh, psychedelics are dangerous and we don't want to go near them. And oh, antidepressants are actually the solution to your problem. Oh, ADHD medications, which more and more uh, youth, more and more kids my age uh, or or younger in Gen Z are being prescribed ADHD medications because they can't focus. And this, this is great adderall and ritalin crisis now this shortage of these drugs russell um, where doctors are prescribing this more and more and more and more more kids are heavily medicated with these uh, stimulant drugs because they have adhd which means they can't focus which is like everyone these days and now we're moving further and further towards medication rather than focusing on the holistic solutions and i think big pharma the government and the media is largely to blame In a
0: sense, we're seeing nothing less than the curation of reality at the initially at the point of clinical trial, the type of trials that are undertaken with a particular objective in mind. But the good news is we are able now to provide competing narratives to the dominant narratives that, as you say, suggest an empirical and unimpeachable reality as offered to us by the kind of interests that you are currently investigating. Now, Uh, I'm very uh, excited by your revelation. And again, very grateful to you for the uh, exclusivity. What I would like to say is that it was only a brief period of time where the pharmaceutical industry was granted a kind of, uh, I would say, equivalency with the other aspects of the medical industry, i.e. that we saw big pharma as participants in a philanthropic endeavor to save society during an immersive and and terrifying pandemic. Prior to that, you know, in the United States, in particular, the opioid crisis meant that the pharmaceutical industry was regarded with a great deal of cynicism. And now, with various inquiries being undertaken across the world, is that the pharmaceutical industry's position as a respected institution is once again being challenged. What's interesting to me, Rav, and also as an area that you have covered in your work, is the point where the state have been providing additional funding to propagandise medical and pharmaceutical solutions, in particular to the COVID-19 pandemic. We know, of course, that 55% of TV, certainly cable news advertising, comes from pharmaceutical company and indeed a significant amount from Pfizer itself. But in addition to that, you revealed in some of your reporting that the state were funding what amounts to now COVID-19 propaganda or at least vaccine propaganda. Can you tell us a little bit more
1: about that uh story yes yeah so yeah and i appreciate you guys covering the the story i saw on youtube i was like watching on youtube uh your, your video just because I, I watch your stuff and i was like oh this is a topic i covered about how the, the u.s government paid media outlets to promote the COVID acts. and i go on i'm like oh this is my article It's like that's cool <laughs> appreciate it um yeah. yeah yeah so it's um, th- 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 this came to a surprise initially, but it made sense given the experience I had before. Um. I don't know if I want to go into it all now, uh, but I, last year in the summertime, I published a couple of essays about how, um, how I was writing for a number of major mainstream outlets, some left-leaning, some right-leaning, and I've decided not to name these outlets, um, because I don't want to pick a fight with a, a big Multi-million dollar media corporation. Um, I don't want to badmouth any people I was working with in particular. But basically, um, I was writing for a number of outlets, very consistently having published many times before, and I started investigating vaccine side effects, particularly myocarditis, and hearing about cases of vaccine myocarditis. And I wanted to uh, report on this and, and write about it in some of these places. And time and time again, the response I was getting, Russell, this is quite shocking. And the, the the antithesis to what I think journalism should be. Rav, we're a pro vaccine publication. We can't publish content like this because we don't want to promote vaccine hesitancy. Like we're, we're not going to be like time and time again. This was the response I was getting from editors. Like, no, our publication is going to promote the COVID vaccine, so we're not going to platform this vaccine skepticism or this you know, your coverage of side effects. And I was like, whoa! I was like, hold on here. I I thought journalism was about <laughs> Honestly, investigating these hot button topics, free of an agenda, free of is this going to promote hesitancy or is this going to you know align with a certain political ideology or not? I was just looking for the truth. Similar with my recent reporting on psychedelic research, and I was quite frustrated at the time, and that drove eventually my migration to Substack and creating mm. the Illusion Nexus and making a name for myself instead of relying on these major media outlets. So recently, I came across. Uh, the story and investigated it further and found out that many of those publications uh, that I was in contact with and been just many publications in US media, publications that we all read and know about, were getting direct funding from the US government to promote the COVID vaccine. And I went and looked into their advertisements. I know you did as well. And they contained uh, advertisements about these vaccines are safe and effective. Your kids should be getting it. The myocarditis is just a small temporary issue. COVID is a bigger threat. If you get the updated COVID vaccine, uh, it'll prevent long COVID. And to me, it was like, wait, again, this is the opposite of what I thought journalism was supposed to be doing. I thought we were supposed to be questioning those people and those people in white lab coats who are putting out these decrees and propagandizing to the public about the safety and efficacy of these experimental uh, vaccines. When in reality, what's happening is you're getting funding from them And so that and how explicit this problem actually is, I'm not sure like how exactly uh, these stories are turned out in mainstream media. um, What happens behind the scenes? I'm not I'm not in those newsrooms, so I don't know. But we saw what happened in mainstream media with the uh, reputational decapitation of Joe Rogan for talking about myocarditis and talking about uh, early treatments for covid. We saw the constant you know, uh, defenestration of anyone who was asking questions about vaccine side effects. And yet at the same time, these publications were getting funding to promote uh, these vaccines. I think this is why independent media has risen so much, Russell, is because there has been now, I think to, I think this is a very important point. I think there's been a great unveiling in the public, Russell, like the print, like the Gutenberg printing press. Now, we're in this age of media where establishment narratives are being challenged, questioned, and eviscerated in real time, right? We're no longer just relying on the medical establishment and the CDC and the FDA. We're in the age of podcasts and substack newsletters and the internet. And I know some people like individuals like Sam Harris talk about the problems associated with that. And there, it's true, there are problems associated with this. Right? If all you have is Substack and podcasts and people like yourself who aren't scientists and people like myself who aren't experts in vaccines talking about this issue, yeah, there are going to be some people, some grifters and some anti-vaxxers and some people with extreme rhetoric or people who are not reliable because they don't have the relevant background. But the problem is that people in authority, people with power, have been wrong repeatedly again and again and again when it comes to vaccines, when it comes to pharmaceuticals like SSRIs and ADHD meds, right? When it comes to psychedelic therapies and the suppression of these therapies that can help so many people and uplift them out of their their suffering, whether depression, PTSD, anxiety, et cetera. And so these establishment narratives are being questioned more and more. And like I said, we're moving more and more towards medication as an establishment and more and more towards vaccinating and medicating and following our mainstream primary physician's advice on these complex mind-body problems. But I think for those of us that are more politically conscious and tuning into this great uh, awakening in podcastistan, we're seeing the days of SSRIs, ADHD meds, and trusting people in white lab coats being gone and the age of morning sunlight, sauna, cold plunge, ashwagandha. Taking supplementation, psilocybin, MDMA therapy, working through your traumas, as now being in vogue, increasingly so. So we're moving more, moving away from centralized authority and kind of mainstream medical propaganda to individuals taking their health in their own hands and exploring their own traumas and their own issues um, without put just medicating them themselves with a pill or trusting um, advice that's proving to be more and more dangerous and misinformed.
0: And Rav Aurora, I think you have precisely described the nature of the problem, but also the nature of the solution. Our individual awakening is a threat to ongoing centralized power, and your work is so far extraordinarily effective in unfolding, exploring, and explaining how the, exactly how that pans out. Rav, I'm so grateful to you for coming on the show. Um, you can follow Rav on illusionofconsensus.com. You can find more of Rav's reporting and his work with Jay Bhattacharya, uh, for another guest of the show, a fantastic uh, m- and reliable medic by going to Substack and looking at Illusion of Consensus if you want to support Rav's great reporting as we do. Rav, thank you very much for that story. Thank you for the other work you've done, and I'd love to do. I'd love to have another conversation where we get more into this stuff—the kind of things that you've been uh, touching upon towards the end of our conversation. I'd like to do a deeper exploration uh, uh, into some of that stuff in the coming weeks. Would that? Would you be available for that?
1: Absolutely. Yes. Thanks for the mention. Substack. If people can support us, that's where we have. um, If you can subscribe for free, if you want, but if you want to support us, uh, people. Uh, individuals can become paid subscribers. That really helps us out. That's the way independent journalism is done. Uh, So you can check that out, Illusion of Consensus. And Russell, thank you again for the platform. Uh, Really appreciate what you've been doing uh, the last couple of years. A big, big fan of yours. Uh, And yes, I would absolutely love to go deeper into some of these topics. Uh, We have not yet talked about any of the uh, mental health crises that I've gotten myself out of over the last couple of years and some of your early videos about Uh, heartbreak about depression and anxiety actually were quite helpful a couple years ago. Uh, And now most people actually don't know, but I'm in university. I'm basically majoring in Eastern mysticism and Buddhism, Hinduism, psychedelics. It's like the other world that I I occupy and that we haven't actually talked about. So I look forward to uh, another conversation where we get into matters more contemplative and mystical because I think uh, you and I align on a lot of those things so look forward to it
0: thank you Rav so much you can find the links to Rav's work in the description right now Rav thank you so much mate that was brilliant
1: yeah thanks Russell